0: Bin's Fishing Podcast is brought to you by X. Know where you stand with X. Here's what's coming up on today's show.
1: You know the reality that this season is lost. Uh, I think is starting to settle in with most outfitters. Twenty-five percent of outfitters that may never open again. We got a eighty million dollar loss in revenue already. 2,500 jobs already on the block. We actually replaced our whole fleet of outboard motors. Eight brand new
2: outboards sitting up there and, you know, just Thanks, continually Trevor. trying to upgrade. It, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, you got her, bro.
0: Broadcasting from the Tassin Lake Lock Studios, this is the Finding Finns Fishing Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? It generates something like 2.5 Four billion dollars. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it's it anyway. Bad. I knew you were going to go there. Wally is relating to deep mind where there's schools of baseball. Today's show is brought to you by Hay Bale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Tazin Lake Lodge in northwest Saskatchewan. For trophy lake trout, northern pike, go to tazinlake.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen, and like many of you, this time of year, normally my social media posts would be flooded with giant fish pictures from Canadian lodges. You'd also see a lot of pictures and videos from my time on a lake that is quickly becoming one of my favorite places in the world, Tazan Lake, in the northwest corner of Saskatchewan. But, of course, this is 2020, and we're all spending more time fishing near home while sharing old memories on Facebook. Hopefully you and your family and friends are also safe and healthy and continue to be. Uh, But there is more safety and health to think about aside from the coronavirus. With no end of the Canadian border closure in sight, hunting and fishing outfitters north of the border are in a bit of a crisis mode. Some fishing lodges chose not to open at all this summer. A few waited it out to see if things would change. Others tried to market to Canadians, but uh, most, like a lot of small businesses here in America have struggled with no real clear instructions on what to do, with no fault to anyone. It was a very stressful summer for many business owners. While lodges in America rode a a bit of a roller coaster from mandatory closures uh, and then cancellations, and then they had small openings where you could guide two people in a boat. Uh, Then all of a sudden it was fully open with COVID precautions. That opening has been a boon to some as many Americans who normally go to Canadian lodges found themselves making alternative plans to visit lakes and resorts here in the States. While overall tourism is still down in both countries, The Canadian lodges are feeling the financial pain this summer when it comes to outdoor recreation. What does it mean to be a Canadian lodge owner right now and what might the future look like? Well, we're going to welcome two lodge owners, Trevor Montgomery and Barry Prawl from Tazen Lake Lodge. And then Barry also owns Trails End Outfitters on Tobin Lake. We also have Roy Anderson, current CEO of of the Saskatchewan Commission of Professional Outfitters and former president of Tourism Saskatchewan. And also Ron Bonneau, owner of Alumarine Boats and True North Yamaha RVM and Marine and Prince Albert. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Morning, Brett, Brett.
0: So, uh, Roy, let's start with you. Um, you've been around the tourism industry and the outfitters uh, for a number of years. You are with uh, Tourism Saskatchewan during an interesting time from 2000 to 2006, which uh, I was reading some articles that was dubbed the perfect storm because of, uh, of SARS and also 9-11. Uh, they were some of the most difficult years of the tourism industry in, in Canada and the world. Until now, did you ever expect to see a worse situation than what you went through then?
1: I didn't think we'd have it to this magnitude, a completely different completely different factors influencing uh, and impacting the industry. You know, we were able to, I wouldn't say we danced our way around the impact uh, back in that period in 2000, 2006 that I was there, but we, we were able to manage. I mean, we still had a certain amount of traffic and international traffic that uh, we're able to welcome to the province. Of course, the the scenario we're dealing with right now is, is completely different and far more impactful, I believe, as the gentleman on the call here would would not as well. It's it's having a drastic effect on some of the key sectors of tourism, but most specifically the outfitting sector, definitely.
0: Just briefly, go back to that time and explain what it was like to uh, to navigate the tourism industry uh, through those situations.
1: Yeah, I think back in uh, from 2000 to 2006, those situations there. You know, Saskatchewan has a strong dependence on you know, national domestic traffic and the tourism revenues are, are from those markets represent, a, you know, the majority of our, our industry overall. And we have uh, what I have always called the sort of random acts of tourism where people come through our provinces for different reasons, whether it's to visit families and friends or pleasure or other events. Uh, they don't, we don't hear in, the, in, at that time anyways in Saskatchewan, we didn't have a lot of packaged tourism traffic Aside from what the outfitters were doing, you know, you might put meeting and convention as a tourism segment in there. And then you have outfitters, you know, who package their product, they take it to market and they sell it and it's sold before the person comes to the province. Uh, And we still have that scenario here in Saskatchewan where outfitters represent the majority of that package business. So uh, it would be a little bit different. Uh, The dependency on international travel from 2000 to 2006 might have been a bit more heavy for the Bamps and the Montreals and the the gateway places in in Canada, more than it was in Saskatchewan. So um, we managed to, as I mentioned, not to sidestep, we lost some international traffic, but I don't believe, you know, maybe the economic impact, you guys might be able to speak to it better than me, the economic impact and uncertainty caused by those events in the States might have affected uh, the outfitting business. Back then, I would suggest maybe 2008 even had a bigger impact um, from the 2000-2006 period. But again, as we're here talking about today, nothing, nothing at the degree that the, the uh, ban on uh, non-essential travel at the border has had on, on outfitters here, definitely.
0: You're now the CEO of the Saskatchewan Commission of Professional Outfitters. Uh, <coughs> explain what that group is.
1: This is an organization, it's it's a traditional industry association that we set up about, uh, I guess it'd be about four years ago. I mean, I had a great uh, relationship with the Outfitters back when I was at Tourism Saskatchewan. I'm a management consultant by trade. And generally our job is to, you know, we've got a mix of purposes. You know, one is effective resource management. Of course, the most important one is to maximize the economic benefit to the province through outfitting. Uh, that's what we focus the majority of our time on. Uh, yes. and work with other stakeholders and groups around that. Again, primarily the Ministry of Environment and the province overall. The, uh, the, the sector still represents uh, one of the significant, and of course, from my perspective, the most important tangible sector in the tourism industry here in Saskatchewan. Uh, so you'll see uh, the attention that's being paid on it right now because of the reality of the, of the impact of the border closure It it won't impact the other sectors of the tourism business here in Saskatchewan to the degree it does right now. So as an association, of course, we've got a multi-year strategy that has about 22 different initiatives in it, uh, from expanding business opportunities through to uh, revenue generation to member support programs. But everything's been sort of been put on hold now as we try to focus on, uh, you know, navigating our way through this challenge uh, and we've got some good recognition from Tourism Saskatchewan and the, and the provincial government overall as they recognize uh, we're sort of that one slice of the tourism industry that goes from full speed ahead to zero speed ahead. While other, while other sectors in the tourism industry are able to take advantage of what they're calling the pivot strategy nationally, uh, the federal government has focused everything on, well, let's refocus all our energy to the domestic market. These people that might have traveled to the states or traveled someplace now. Now they've got these disposable dollars to spend. You know, it provides opportunity for uh, for some recovery, for lots of the tourism industry overall. Uh, but as you understand, it doesn't provide any opportunity for the outside, outfitting sector here in Saskatchewan or, or really across the country. Yeah, uh, some provinces like Quebec have a little bit of opportunity because a lot of their outfitting is for domestic clients, but the balance of the province, or the balance of the country is definitely struggling, hit hard.
0: Yeah, let's, let's look at the, the, the outfitting industry in Saskatchewan and how much reliance on uh, the United States, you know, uh, people coming up from the United States. How much reliance is there and how much money do Americans bring into the province for, to, to go to these, uh, for outdoor recreation, hunting and fishing?
1: Yeah, really good question, Brett. Um, we, we did do, uh, we have three sectors. So we've got big game, we've got game bird, and we've got angling. And our species are bear, whitetail moose game birds and of course the angling side so we we found out fairly early in the process we did what we call business disruption surveys uh, of this sector to find out immediately the first one we did right back in March and at that point in time we had 50% of the camps basically closed or we saying they weren't going to open in in 2020 at all already at that point in the process a lot of spring bear uh, Guys, you know as well as anybody, you know angling angling camps have to make decisions, investment decisions, as early as February and March, you know, to get revved up for the season. So if they're remote uh, and they can't see that there's clarity around the fact that they're going to have an opportunity, they're just not going to open. So we did do what we call a bit of a pivot strategy for road accessible uh, ang- fishing camps. We asked how many of them, how many? We asked the membership and the sector overall, how many you're planning an opening. I isolated those, and then we worked with Tourism Saskatchewan here to do a bit of an in-province campaign to encourage people to go out and support their fishing camps. If they haven't been north, to go north. If they've never fished before, great <coughs> opportunity to learn how to fish. Go with an outfitter. If they've never been north before, great opportunity to go north. Go with an outfitter They can provide a safe, secure, and and not only educational, learn how to do it, but a great experience. So I think we had some success with that. I would say we maybe have a third of the a third of the fishing camps maybe took advantage of that. Uh, I'm speculating on on the total number. So we just did the same thing, uh, Brett, to to test whether there's an opportunity for a pivot strategy for game bird and big game. And I just wrapped up the findings from that yesterday, and there isn't. Uh, we got a really strong responses back very quickly from our members and from licensed outfitters to say too risky. Uh, no benefit short term, let's not bother. So So, so there isn't any opportunity there. To get back to, I guess, your initial question, that that the outfitting sector here in Saskatchewan, uh, the economic impact represents $130 million net contribution to GDP. So that's net every year here in the province. And I would suggest that comes from We'll see, uh, once we wrap up our business disruption survey, I expect to be close to $220, $250 million in lost sales revenue yeah. this year. We're talking about 5,000 jobs related to the outfitting sector.
0: That was my next question. And,
1: yeah, and and uh, you know, outfitting takes place across the province, but Gamebird is the only really sector of outfitting that's allowed in the southern part of the province. Everything else happens in the north, as we call it in the forested area of the province. So, you know, close to 4,000 of those jobs that occur in that Northern area uh, through outfitting. And uh, I can't remember what the exact number is, but a very high degree of the uh, investment made by outfitters as well as employment uh, occurs within hundred kilometers of their business. So it's very regional, very community-based impact. So, uh, you know, as Ron's going to say, and across the board, The the business loss for outfitters here represents, as I said, quarter billion dollars worth of lost sales revenue, 130 million in net GDP. Outfitters are suffering, but the businesses that are dependent on those outfitters uh, are going to suffer significantly too. Here, those local community economies that. that basically provide the services and goods to outfitters.
0: Well, and not just that, but people that go like if I go up uh, to Berries at, at Tobin, and I, I'm in Nipawin, going to the grocery store, you know, or going to the gas station, or eating at the restaurants, or whatever. There, tourism is a lot more than just those those lodges and outfitters. And let's talk about those jobs. Five thousand jobs. Some of those uh, are, uh, you know, people from Indigenous communities too. What what's happening to those people right now that are losing out on those jobs up there? What are they doing?
1: It's, it's, a, it's a really good question. Uh, some of them have been able to, uh, to access the federal government programs and some of them have been able to access from the business side some of the provincial programs. So our job uh, as the Saskatchewan Association here, we sit on the Canadian Federation of Outfitters Associations as well that has uh, you know our colleagues and representatives from across the country and our primary focus uh, March, April and May was to push back, or not push back, but push within the federal program deliveries that were coming down to try and broaden them and, and provide more accessibility to individuals that uh, that are working for outfitters or the outfitters themselves. You know, they, the program seemed to be designed very well to serve registered businesses and employees that or registered employees, so in other words, employees for which outfitters were paying uh, unemployment insurance and and the dues that are required, maybe not so much for for uh, individuals that are contracted. So I think those working in the in the industry and working in the you know the uh, the industries that are wrapped around outfitters, uh, if they were employed and paying UI, they likely did okay. If they were contracted, some were successful in accessing programs, and some haven't been. So yeah, they f- they uh, finally
0: I- started something in the states like that for uh, they called it gig workers or or independent contractors, where yeah. where they were able to finally get some some assistance as well. So before we move on to the uh, the other guys here, I want to ask you, and and if you guys want to speak up and add something too, feel free to jump in. Um, you talk about before at the beginning about 50 percent said they probably wouldn't open at all what did you hear throughout this pandemic from from outfitters and and what are you hearing from them now are they are they worried that they'll you know are some not going to be able to recover from this or do you think some will remain closed forever or, or what's the status out there what are you hearing
1: i think that's the reality um We'll likely go out again, Brett, here within, as soon as we hear about the next border extension, which I believe we will, uh, you know, beyond the August 23rd date. Uh, as soon as we hear that, we'll go back out and ask that exact question. Uh, how, many, how many of you are gonna be closed permanently? Uh, we asked that question back in uh, the last surveys and we were getting 25, 26% that said there was a very high risk that they would be closed permanently. We'll see how that comes out in the wash, as they say. Uh, but as an association, the board of directors uh, and the stakeholders, provincial government, other agencies, the federal agency, we we're working to try to get support. Our biggest concern right now is 2021. You know, the reality that this season is lost, uh, I think, is starting to settle in with most outfitters. Uh, the accessibility to the programs that are there. Uh, We likely take another run uh, with 2021 in mind uh, because you've got a unique situation that, uh, again, these guys can speak to it better than I can. But I'm assuming there's a unique situation here where you have deposit revenues that have been taken uh, for this 2020 season. Some outfitters have used part of that deposit revenue to get set up in anticipation of having a season. And now they're pushing all of those, the majority of those people they had booked for 2020 into 2021. So you've got capacity challenges and uh, uh, market reputation challenges, and you've got cash flow challenges. So I think, uh, you know, that, that's a key and critical question. That's the one in front of us right now is how do we help outfitters plan for 2021 to get back to business profitability? So based off of that, then you I mean, and, I, and
0: I've kind of resigned myself the fact that i probably won't be getting up there until 2021 but there are still people here in the states waterfowl hunters and deer hunters that are still holding out hope that they might be able to get up there that fall what what do you think the likelihood of that is and and what do you think needs to happen between now and next summer to ensure that we'll even be able to go up there in 2021
1: yeah uh, i think the likelihood i'm, I'm so cautious Sure. I get asked that question about three or four times a day by different outfitters. But uh, I I just the only indicator that I'm confident in that gives a good direction on what might happen is the uh, is the spread, you know, the numbers, basically what's happening in Canada, what's happening in the States. So when I get that question, I just say, well, look at the numbers and you draw your own conclusion. I think most of the industry experts that we have talked to speculate now. I know our colleagues in B.C. and Alberta are basically saying to their outfitters, uh, season's done. We the border will not open in 2020. So, yeah. uh, and we for the first time we passed that information on to our to our members in the sector in a communication a couple of weeks ago. Um, we are working on. Uh, uh, the, there are protocol plans that uh, the territories were the first one. Yukon was the first one to get their plan approved. Uh, of course, in the Yukon, nobody was allowed in, mm-hmm. not even Canadians, up until recently. And the association up there came up with a protocol process and had it endorsed to manage the 14 day quarantine. So they have a they have a process that's been approved to allow a non-resident in terms of non Yukon resident now to come into the Yukon for a hunt and a process to allow them to go directly over the border, directly to camp, participate in the hunt and leave. Even if that, from my understanding, even if the term of that hunt is less than 14 days. So they've sort of waived they haven't waived the requirement for quarantine, but they've allowed a different process. Uh, now that will serve the Canadian market. So now they can open up and people who wanna, if the if, UK uh, can, can handle the price discounts that come along with that, uh, the expectation from Canadians, they're gonna get a bargain. So that has been put in place. So the other jurisdictions will now be taking that and looking about how it might be applied. But it's still, so that'd be pushed forward, I guess, sure and answer, that'd be pushed forward in an effort to try and get the federal government to consider uh, an alternate process around the 14-day quarantine at the point when the Canadian-US border maybe opens up to the next level of non-essential or essential travel. We figure that the border will open up in waves. You know, At this point, it's these. At the next point, they might allow another slice in, another slice, so we're trying to get that, get outfitting positioned in the first or second slice once it starts to open. So that's where we are right now. We're, I mean, we're confident. We remain confident that uh, we're, we're going to get a solution into place before the next uh, next year.
0: Trevor, let's let's move on to you with uh, Taz and Lake Lodge. When when did you come to the realization that your season may not happen at Taz and Lake
2: Lodge? Well, we held out until June twenty first. Uh, or sorry, until July 21st, when they finally announced that the border extension would go on, we had uh, we had hoped that maybe we could salvage some of the season and maybe run a little bit later into the season. But uh, with that further extension for the border, it uh, it was time to to make some hard decisions, and that's when Barry and I decided it was time to to decide to you know close for the season and then uh, you know regroup and go towards 2021.
0: Listeners of this show have probably heard, heard me and you guys talk about Taz Lake Lodge quite a bit, but for uh, new viewers slash listeners, explain what Taz Lake Lodge is all about.
2: We're a fishing, a flying fishing outfitter in Northwest Saskatchewan, right on the Northwest territory, Saskatchewan border. Um, we're in lake uh, North of Lake Athabasca in Saskatchewan. Um, we run an American plan lodge and, uh, Myself and my partner, Barry Prawl, have been uh, in the outfitting industry for most of our working lives. And so we uh, feel that we, you know, we try and anticipate what people want and how it's going to work and uh, and go from there.
0: How much your business is from the United States?
2: The majority of our business is from the United States, uh, over
0: 90%. So when, when all this happened, I mean, did you have any... <clears throat> Inclination that you wouldn't have a season this year?
2: Uh, well, we didn't, I guess, in the very beginning uh, when, when the COVID shutdown came down, you know, everybody, I think, was on the same page. Oh, yeah, a little road bump, you know, a little speed bump here and things will get back to normal. But uh, as time progressed, it uh, slowly became apparent that there was a good chance that, you know, especially after that July period of 21st, there was a good chance that we weren't going to open. Uh,
0: what did you do with the clients that you had booked? Uh,
2: we've been trying to keep everybody in the loop there. Uh, basically what we did was we uh, just basically forwarded them or rolled them over, I guess, to 2021 once we realized that that we weren't going to open, um, you know, and just tried to, I guess, maintain in contact as much as possible. Uh, discussions, um, we... I've just tried to, I guess, reassure everybody that, uh, you know, we're here for the long haul. We're not going anywhere. You know, this is a speed bump, that's for sure. But it's not a game changer or a game ender for us. So, yeah.
0: What about deposits? I'm sure some, you know, some people probably thought they could get a refund on on their deposits. Uh, I, I know I heard that from people all over the place even down here in the United States of course everybody's asking for their deposits I think most outfitters Mm -hmm. roll people into the next (coughs) year Uh, those deposits went to uh, go to getting the camp ready for for clients this year don't they
2: Absolutely. Well, and kind of like Roy alluded to that a lot of that prep work happens in the wintertime, you know, uh, with frozen ground access uh, to certain areas. So we do a winter haul every year up to Uranium City because Uranium City is just on the other side of the mountain range from us. So we haul up there and, uh, you know, it's 20, 20 miles away uh, by air. So we haul up there and stockpile. And that's what we did, of course, this year in February is we hauled up, we actually replaced our whole fleet of outboard motors, eight brand new outboards sitting up there and, you know, just Thanks, continually trying to upgrade. So, <laughs> you got her on, but trying to upgrade and, and move things forward. And then of course our dried goods and, you know, all of our heavy stuff. So of course there's a lot of capital that goes in to prep for that season. And uh, so basically with the, uh, with deposits, we rolled them over to 2021. And agree on dates. One of the challenges we have found so far is that uh, we had planned to change our season from a seven-day trip to a five-day trip in 2021. And so that has, uh, you know... Everybody we've talked to really hasn't had any issues with it because they realize that you know for growth of the outfitter and, and how how things are going to work most effectively. That's uh, you know uh, that's that's a decision a business decision. Sometimes it has to be made, especially because it was made prior to. So we we are moving forward with that two or five day, five and ten day trips next year.
0: With. W- with changes that come with a, a growing camp like that, and then you throw something like this, and you take a whole season off, and we talk about what's happening with the, these 5,000 employees across the province. Are you worried about about staffing? You know, uh, with having this year off, about losing any of the um, you know the guides and and some of the camp staff that you'd have for for next season?
2: And what we've done, same thing, has been in constant communication with them. You know, we have some key people who have been a part of our team for a number of years now, and uh, those are our key people. And, and they all they all understand and they love the the camp as much as we do, and that's why they come back every year. Uh, we did have uh, a number of uh, newer staff that we had lined up because, of course, it was uh, it was plagued to be a stellar season this year. So, uh, but they all same thing; they're all keep my name down for next year. I, you know, a lot of them really want to come and I I believe that uh, it should actually be easier to access staff next year, especially if there are some outfitters, you know, there's less people, maybe, uh, you know, less outfitters running a number of things like that, that may, may open up a door to more staff too, as well.
0: Man, I'll tell you what, you know, obviously I'm, work with you guys quite a bit and I know we were all just pumped about this year because uh, we, we've just seen that camp grow and grow and grow every year and this year was was poised to really be a a great year up there and just to have, I mean my gosh, just train right off the tracks for everybody everywhere right now and it just, uh, I, I don't even know just trying to find positives in the situation are just tough right now. So it's uh, it's 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 obviously very difficult to be a lodge owner right now in Canada. What about being a, a boat dealer, uh, Ron? I want to talk to you about how this. Uh, you're in a little bit of a different situation, but obviously very closely related to everything that we're talking about. How is has how uh, the border closure and the, the COVID situation affected your business?
3: I guess from a boat dealer standpoint, uh, Brett, uh, it's actually been very good. Hmm. Uh, retail sales on on marine products, quads, snowmobiles, that type of thing has just been going through the roof. From a manufacturer standpoint, not so much. Uh, obviously Illumarine boats are uh, 75 to 80% of our business is camps and lodges. Um, However, we did see a big increase in our retail sales uh, through through our dealer network, of course. But that I think it's it's a bit of a psychological thing. People are saying, "To hell with this COVID! I'm spending some money. I'm going to treat myself," um, and so they're doing that. But from a manufacturer standpoint, definitely we felt the pinch. Um, we we were lucky. We didn't lay anybody off. We didn't shut down. We had enough orders to keep us going, especially with the increase in the retail uh, sales. But uh, we we're going to see the pinch here coming up soon. Um, without the border opening, it, it, all all the indications that I've seen is we're talking mid to late winter before uh, that even opens up. So if that happens, obviously the the lodges, the camps aren't Aren't buying boats. They're not buying the engines because they have no revenue coming in. So that that's where we're going to see the pinch. I think is is a little further down the road. We're we're at the point where we're caught up with our orders, and uh, it, it's just now we're 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 staying. Uh, we're still manufacturing, but it's mostly uh, inventory. So we we we've caught up.
0: We saw a a big increase in fishing participation here in Minnesota this year to the point where uh, you you try to go to a tackle shop and the shelves are empty because, A, so many people, more people are going out, the demand was so much higher, and then the supply chain obviously was disrupted because any American-made product, people weren't going to work, so manufacturing pretty much came to a halt, and anything imported obviously wasn't happening either. So... In Canada, did you did you have and then not only that, not only were people not working, but we were pumping extra money. We had a stimulus check, and then we had some uh, additional unemployment benefits for people out of work. Did you experience similar situations in Canada, or did everybody kind of keep working or what happened up there? And anybody, anybody? I, I
3: think that uh, we probably saw there there were some people um, laid off. Uh, but a lot of people working from home. Um, I don't think in Prince Albert, per se, that we saw a lot of layoffs. Uh, I think most, most people were working from home. So the, I think the revenues were still there. Um, and then with, with the CERB and the other uh, um, federal um, aids, I guess I could say, um, there was still money out there this is the best year we've had in five, six years. It, it was really down. And I think it's, it's, it's just a psychological thing. You know, we may have to, to go to the layoff thing. I'm hoping we don't have to. It, our business is, uh, or our manufacturing process is very, very um, technical and it takes a long time to train people to build a boat. It's not something you can just pick up in a couple of weeks. It's you're talking years. Our, our head guy's been building boats for 40 years and, and uh, the other guy's been doing it for 37 years. So it's, it's not something that you can just uh, uh, train a guy in a couple of weeks and let him go. So, so
0: you were able to just keep manufacturing and selling uh, all your products throughout this whole, whole situation.
3: <laughs> yeah, we we've, we've uh, going into this year, we were expecting, like Trevor said, we we were in, uh, expecting a banner year. Uh, we were looking at uh, probably upwards of three hundred to three hundred and fifty boats, which is which is doesn't sound like a lot to a Lund or a Smoker Craft or any of the big companies, but uh, to us that's huge. And and you, if you think about our market, it's. uh Northern Saskatchewan, uh, the territories, northern Manitoba, northern Ontario uh, at this point. So it, it's, uh, it's a lot of boats. And I, I was concerned that we wouldn't be able to fill the orders. And then, of course, we had some cancellations. Some of the lodges uh, had canceled with the dealers. And uh, that was expected. It wasn't a big deal. And we were able to keep going just because of the increase in our retail, though. Oh. It wasn't, you know, the the, the wholesale. Stuff. And then we we did do a, what I called my uh, uh, my COVID stimulus package. So I offered extra discounts to the dealers if they ordered boats. and uh, and uh, but those are gone now. And it, it it did help a little bit, and got the dealers once once Saskatchewan opened, uh, when with the announcement of stage one, um, everything just went. Crazy, because out in Manitoba did it about the same time, and then Ontario shortly after. uh, That really stimulated orders for us.
0: Now, with with your type of business, had you been running into issues, would there have been some sort of government assistance program for your type of business?
3: Basically, the the only assistance that we may have qualified for is if we were affected by COVID at the plant. So, in other words, if we had to shut the plant down, but other than that, there was very little that we would qualify for. Um, <clears throat> basically, one reason one reason was that we were a new company, in in the sense. I mean, uh, lumarine has been around since 1967, but in Prince Albert, just since 2019, uh, we started building boats in March of 2019. So it, it there was not a lot of uh, I guess paperwork or or uh income difference to show uh sure. show the federal government to get any help. Uh, I'm not a big fan of getting that help anyway. Sure, sure. <laughs> because well, nothing's free, right? So right. Um, yeah, I, I I guess the big our biggest thing is, is just try to keep going. Uh try to work with our dealers. Uh that was key. Uh, we didn't pressure them in any way. They canceled some of them canceled some orders, so be it. That was fine. Uh, uh, we just have to look forward to the future in the next five or ten or twenty years.
0: So, Trevor, what would you what what's been available for outfitters, or what what would you like to see as far as um, you know if there's any way the government uh, can can help out outfitters there?
2: Well, there is a a couple of programs that have been available from uh, one from the provincial government for outfitters uh, up to a couple grants, depending on how much income you lost up to a maximum of uh, $5,000 a crack. And uh, they've had two rollouts of it. So I believe it's up to 10,000. And then there's also a small business emergency loan uh, of 40,000 with uh, if the 30s paid back in a in a preset time frame that uh, 10000 becomes a grant hmm. and that's kind of what has been there um, I know that tourism potentially has some things coming out too as well and and i believe that uh out of the whole tourism industry outfitters are probably the ones that have been hit the hardest out of this uh just because of you know like you were talking with barry uh just before he cut out no deer season no bear season you know it's going to be huge for him with no zero income for the year you know and then of course tasman being shut down at the same time so um those those possibilities of, uh, of that that grant or aid from the government, then I believe that if things continue on this road, they're just going to keep on bringing out or changing the scope of the programs maybe, but continuing to keep people so that, you know, they can climb and not sink to the bottom and crash. So.
0: And that's similar to what's happened here too. We had a a small business uh, loan opportunity uh, where it, it could be, if you, if you didn't change your payroll, the, 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 the loan would be forgiven. So essentially it yes. gave you the money if you didn't get rid of anybody. And then, but it was a two and a half month loan originally. <clears throat> and then you were supposed to file for this, uh, forgiveness of the loan. Well then they won't even let you file for it right now. Cause all the, they, it just keeps changing. Like, ah, well hang on, right. we're going to extend it. It just keeps changing. And nobody, nobody really knows, uh, w- w- what the end is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, roy what do you what do you think the the future's going to look like and when it comes to these these outfitters uh i know I know assistance not everybody wants assistance but when you when you talk about zero income for a business yet those businesses have bills that still need to be paid is there i mean is there you know in, in some place in the state some rent is being you know you can't be evicted or you, some rent is being forgiven or whatever is there what do you think is going to happen with these outfitters when it comes to even paying bills?
1: Yeah, I think what we've, as I mentioned earlier, what we've been trying to do at the national level anyways, is to try and work within those programs and sort of push the parameters so that more outfitters would be eligible. The, the low interest loan piece, for example, when it first came out, you had to have a certain degree of, uh, of payroll, lots of our outfitters don't basically have a registered payroll so we fought against trying to get that removed we couldn't understand why it needed to be there I guess they were using that to define whether the business was registered or not but there's other ways to do that so we were able to get that pushed down from 50 to 20 and I think since then it's been pushed down a little bit further so uh, you know when we originally looked at how many of our members had subscribed to that loan program it wasn't that many you know and as, as Trevor mentioned, I mean, outfitters are independent, they're resilient, you know, they really don't like handouts, they like to be standing on their own. So you got to respect that and appreciate that. But I think as we move towards 2021, you know, there may not be as much of a choice from a cash flow, flow perspective. Um, the commercial uh, rents and leases and those programs are all out there for all sectors to, to access as needed, including the outfitters what we what we haven't been able to do and and we continue to push on at the national level is is to try and raise the understanding that outfitters are totally unique especially here in saskatchewan i mean they are dependent on the american market pretty well solely other than other than maybe a certain percentage of road accessible uh fishing camps you know they have saskatchewan and alberta residents that maybe access those but really if you are if you're packaging up and you're selling outfitted, outfitted experiences, they're going to the States. So even within within all of the business sectors overall, you know, uh, then you break it down just to the tourism sector. And then the slice within the tourism sector, you know, outfitters really do stand on their own here in Saskatchewan and being entirely dependent on that U.S. market. So I think we'll have we haven't had as much luck at the national level trying to get that understanding uh, uh, drilled into the, uh, or, or accepted by by the leaders at the federal level. So we'll likely be here in, in as we move forward into the fall. Uh, we clearly have, uh, I think, I'm comfortable at the provincial level, uh, the premier of the province, the ministers here in the province, they know, understand, recognize, and are aware of the value of the tourism industry because we had numbers in front of them like I said, by the middle of the March saying, we got 25% of our outfitters that may never open again. we got an $80 million loss in revenue already, 2,500 jobs already on the block. We were, uh, you know, basically with engagement of the members, they had their data back to us within three days. We were able to package up and get it to the ministers. So I'm comfortable that that understanding is there. Uh, and as we move into 2021, as we get into the fall here and winter seasons, I think that that's where we're going to have to look Uh, To really identify first, you know, what do outfitters really need? Uh, uh, You know, we don't want to roll out a program that is unsubscribed. So tell us where the pain points are. What's the cash flow position so we can identify what sort of a. I, I, you know, I'll I'll be honest with you, Brett. I don't ever see a bailout for the outfitting sector. Nobody's going to cut a check to cover the sales and profit losses of the outfitting sector on its own. Other sectors are hurting. So I think if there's anything we might have the opportunity to do, it's going to be uh, looking for some sort of, again, a a low interest loan program or cash flow program to help those that need to basically backfill that deposit revenue that they're not going to have going into 2021. Uh, The federal employment uh, subsidy program, that's been extended late into the fall. So uh, businesses that have, have registered employees and have been able to retain some of them or bring some of them back. They're getting 70, 75% of those wages subsidized by the federal government. Again, that doesn't provide opportunities to everybody, but it does help some, and those are going to be extended later into the year. So the people that are hanging on to their employees and doing renovations at their camps or sales and marketing efforts go towards 2021, they've been able to access those programs. So it's going to be a mix of, uh, of a few things, but, uh, you know, summary, uh, liquidity, You know, having having dollars that are accessible to to underwrite 2021 is likely going to be the biggest challenge here in the next three months.
0: Well, I keep encouraging people to book a trip for 2021 and send those deposits up there. And, uh, you know, for people that that can do that, it might maybe help some people get through this summer and, uh, get a, get a trip on the books for next year. And gosh, guys, I don't, I, I, I wish you all the best. And, uh, of course I love it up there and really disappointed that I wasn't able to make it up there. And, uh, obviously we're in, um, uncertain times and nobody really knows uh, what the future looks like but i but i hope to be up there as soon as i I think the day the the border opens i'm i'm just gonna be waiting (laughs) at customs waiting to go across the border as soon as as soon as they announce it's going to open and i'm afraid to even ask you guys how the fishing has been this year, I know I've talked to Trevor a little bit about it, and Ron, I saw you guys got out and got some some pretty chunk. Well, we'll talk about Tazan too, but you guys went and got some rainbows uh, one day. Those are some pretty <laughs> chunky fish.
3: There was an excellent guide,
2: and not a bad guy on the rod. <laughs> Are you still mad that I caught him all that day? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was an excellent guide, buddy. I do thank you. That's one of the best. That is the best day of rainbow fishing I've ever had. So I can't wait to go out (laughs) again with you that's for sure Great. some of those Absolutely. those
0: fish were just chunky like uh you know we we stock most of our rainbows down here and so you just don't don't see them that unless you're going after steelhead uh, up uh, on superior you just don't see them that big down here but uh and then ron you got up to taz and that was your first time up at taz and lake lodge
3: that was my first time yeah it was a fantastic trip got my personal best lake trout there first night that happens uh, wasn't uh wasn't expecting the the midnight fishing, but <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. Uh... It, it, getting trevor out of bed in the morning
2: was kind of well most guys that know me know that i kind of run a little different routine so, uh, than everybody else especially on my time mate eh? oh, yeah, uh, you, so you go to a different beat
3: buddy
0: I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you what obviously you know uh it's not a normal thing to be fishing overnight up there but we've done that before and when it stays that light that late it's uh it's just kind of a neat adventure to do that i think Trevor we fished from what 8 p.m to 8 a.m one day last year i think
2: Uh, yeah, I think more than one day, maybe in the years (laughs) before that, definitely many days, but but we were just looking at some different options, try to see, you know, different ideas. We had some ideas. We wanted to do a few dry runs and see what, uh, how it would work. So, well, and maybe we'll roll them up. So from eight, we pulled an all
0: nighter one night. Yeah. I mean, we we, We got in at seven. Yeah. I think that's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. I I know when we did it, I only needed a headlamp for about a half hour out of that entire span. (laughs) overnight, which when you talk to us guys down here in the States and you think about wearing sunglasses at one o'clock in the morning, they just look at you funny, you know, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't really, it ha- yeah. doesn't really happen down here, but uh, it's, th- was it hard for you to leave Ron?
3: Absolutely. Um, especially knowing that I couldn't go back up right away. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, no, it was, a, it was a blast and it, it was country that I'd never seen before. I'd been to Athabasca but as soon as you cross that northern edge of Athabasca, the whole terrain changes again, and so I, I got a good look at, at at that. And then we flew out to Nettle, and that was a, a nice trip to get to see a little more country from the air. And yeah, I, I'd love to be back there.
0: I was jealous about that and when you talk to people obviously you guys have probably known this for a long long time but uh when i talk to people down here about saskatchewan when they when i talk to people that have been across some of western canada and they oh it's just flat and boring up in that saskatchewan which i like the prairie so flat and boring is fine with me and i i wouldn't use the the term boring when you talk about the prairie but when you get to northern saskatchewan it's a completely different landscape up there
3: that's right it's it's fantastic it's it's almost mountainous. Yeah. You, know, you could almost call it mountainous. And it's, uh, I, I just uh, totally enjoyed
0: that. That's a neat flight well, coming over from Athabasca into Tazan.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's unique. It's like nowhere else in the province. And actually, uh, I seen an old map on a Uranium City page there uh, from the Hudson's Bay Company. And uh, that is apparently an ancient mountain range on both sides. It's two separate mountain ranges uh, the Black Bear Mountains and the Caribou Mountains is a. Uh, is what they have uh, east and south of Tazan And it's actually just turned into, it was a special management zone prior to, but uh, this past winter they're turning it into a, a permanent refuge now. So no future development is allowed to happen in the area, which is great because I've got it all over the province, especially the north half of all my career, and uh, there is nowhere in the province like it. It is so unique. You know, for hills and sizes, you know, uh, 1,000, thousand six, five 550 feet in elevation, higher than Lake Athabasca in 20 miles. You know, unreal.
0: Yeah, well, and wow. you talk about the depths of that lake. It's not surprising. I mean, it's the, I suppose the, the majority <clears throat> of that mountain range is underwater now, probably, just because of mm-hmm. when you got some areas that are, you know, seven to 800 or... Supposedly 900 feet deep in, 900, in yes. that spot there. Uh, it's it's quite amazing. In the history, of the blowing the tunnel through the rock and redirecting the current. There's so much uh, so much history just in the northern half of that province. Uh, in general, just so much uh, history. Such a neat area. And uh, Roy, we'll have to get you up to Tazen one of these days. That sounds
2: very good. Yeah, you <laughs> said. yeah, for sure.
0: All right, guys. Well, uh, I, I wish you the best up there. Um, if there's anything, is, is any would anybody else like to say? Anything? Is there anything else you guys wanted to get out? Uh, any messages or anything that you'd like to say?
3: Just to everybody keep their chins up. It's all going to get better.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll get it figured out. We're looking forward to having everybody up here in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. that's the goal.
0: Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, All right, uh, gentlemen, I appreciate the time here uh, on the radio show. Good luck with everything up there in
2: Saskatchewan. Thanks a lot, Brett. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brett. Take care, buddy. This
0: has been the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Find us online at findingfins.com and make sure to check out our sponsors. They're pretty cool. Devils Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Hay Bale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Hay Bale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devils Lake today. As we all navigate through the tough times of 2020, finding new ways to enjoy summer has become a way of life. If you're searching for the perfect getaway this summer, look no further than the walleye capital of the world, Lake of the Woods. Fish the Rainy River, Big Traverse Bay, and don't forget you can still experience the uniqueness of the Northwest Angle. For your best chance to catch big fish, go where the big fish are, Lake of the Woods. Plan your trip at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. If trophy lake trout and monster northern pike are on your list this summer, book a trip to Tazen Lake Lodge in northwestern Saskatchewan.
2: Everything from numbers
0: to big fish. See pictures, videos, and more at tazenlake.com. This is quite the fishery. Our five-star chef will feed you well after a day of chasing giants on Tazen Lake. Dream come true. Get rates, dates, and more of what you can expect at tazenlake.com. That's tazenlake.com. Tazen Tassin Lake Lodge is a proud partner of Tourism Saskatchewan. Hunt, fish, conserve, repeat. That's the mission here at Sporting Journal Radio, and if you love the outdoors as much as we do, show it off with new wildlife-themed gear from the Sporting Journal Radio store. From hoodies, to hats, coffee mugs, wildlife prints, and you can even make your phone stand out with a new case sporting some high-quality wildlife photography. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com and click on Store. We have a huge selection of gear with new items being added every week. Powered by Shopify, which is trusted by over 1 million businesses and offering a variety of ways to pay, including PayPal. Shop now at SportingJournalRadio.com.